at Jake Rongholt on the uh, South Korean Hotline. And Jake, uh, welcome uh, back to the show. Glad to have you. Glad to be back, Scott. How is everything in L.A.? Oh, everything in L.A. was chaotic, and uh, you want to talk about traffic in every sense of the word. <laughs> that was definitely it. Uh, you want to talk about, you know, I don't know, what's that game, Pac-Man or, uh, you know, Pinball? Frogger? Pinball from, yeah, that's, what, what's that? I was singing Frogger. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I don't know, between Pac-Man and uh, <laughs> pinball machines, that'll describe the L.A. Uh, traffic in a nutshell. But meanwhile, thanks. it's nice to be back on the East Coast. My brain is kind of trying to get used to this thing a little bit. But it don't matter. Glad to be on with uh, a lot of my favorite people here on the Sports Exchange. All right, well, Jake, with that said, okay, the one thing event that I didn't have a chance to pay much attention to being on the West Coast was the college football playoff. Why? I mean, I was too busy running around uh, doing the Southern California thing. And I, you know what's amazing about that game is when I was at LAX last night, oh, that's right, the game is on tonight. It was kind of like an afterthought. <laughs> I was running out and I was over in a restaurant eating some tortilla soup last night, and that was spicy stuff. And it's like, by the way, there is a football game going on. There's a national championship involved. You know what? When you're engrossed in everything that's going on there, it's another story. Yeah, it, so, felt, it felt like I was watching a, a sports movie in the making. Like, I'm talking in 2020, we're going to have the story of, I'm sorry, in 2030. Let me try that again. In 2030, I feel like we're going to have a movie about the 2020 LSU Tigers. And uh, it that's what it felt like right now with this 2019-2020 team. Joe Burrow was incredible yesterday. Uh, six touchdowns on the night, 60 on the year. Only through six interceptions. And the craziest thing about Burrow that made me think of him was is that he was able to connect with his receivers. He was able to lay it into the breadbasket, throwing dimes to Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. And let me talk about a wide receiver that really stepped up his game and could be a first-round pick. Jamar Chase out of LSU really stepped up his game last night and really felt like he could be a weapon for the future. And when he gets that opportunity at the NFL... It could be interesting to see what Jamar Chase could do. And then Justin Jefferson, he just got better as the night went on. But I feel like the real winner last night was the LSU defense. Everybody was asking the question if the LSU defense could contain Clemson explosive capabilities. I mean, you had Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback, Justin Ross. You had T. Higgins. You got Travis Etienne. And they were able to close them out after Clemson scored and made it a three-point game. They got two back-to-back touchdowns by Burrow and were able to close it out against Clemson. But it was because of the LSU defense, the aggressiveness, the swagger. And give a lot of credit to Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator for LSU. Ed Orgeron did an amazing job this year. It was just a, a great championship, and the right team won. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, LSU looked impressive from the start. You're the only... Uh school that probably has egg on its face that school out in Southern California called USC. When <laughs> Orgeron wasn't good enough to get that job and oh, how are they no. feeling in Trojan territory now? Pretty rotten knowing that this guy looked awfully decisive and dominating with the group that he had. And yeah, and you talk about some of Nick Saban's good Nick Saban's good teams. Well it's you what they did last night with Orgeron maybe it doesn't taint Alabama's accomplishments. Oh boy, Ed Orgeron is sitting very pretty right now. Go ahead, Lewis. Yeah, so 
Jake, obviously, I, you know, we watched the game last night. All of us here were able to see it. Trevor Lawrence in that national championship game in 2019 against Alabama. We have to remember this guy's a 19-year-old freshman going up against arguably the greatest college coach of all time. He looked amazing, close to perfect against, you know, Alabama and Nick Saban and that, that great defense that led them to another undefeated season. But when he goes up against LSU, a program where we've discussed ad nauseum how they their reputation kind of slogged for the last decade or so because, you know, their court they had problems at quarterback for so long. They're going up against a team that, you know, while great by theory of context and just history is in Alabama, you think Trevor Lawrence kind of let his guard down a little, Jake, and thought, I have this game kind of locked up for myself. I know Joe Burrow's great, and he's probably going to match me blow for blow. But I feel, and I watch that, watching that game, I'm thinking he looks kind of scared out there. That's the first loss he's ever had in his college career. But he looked a lot, like they ran a lot of pass rush against him late in that game. And he succumbed to a lot of it. And yet when he was getting rid of the ball, he was underthrowing receivers, overthrowing. I think they put up a graphic in the fourth quarter. He had like 14 overthrows in that game. I mean, you never see that from a guy like Trevor Lawrence. I feel like he went into that game to a cool calm and collected. Well, he overthrew 13 receivers, and the thing is is that that is the first loss in his entire football career. Even in high school, he was a winner, went undefeated, and did the same thing with Clemson. This was new to Trevor Lawrence. He's never lost before. And what LSU did was is that they had that speed. They trusted their front seven. They had those blitzes come in. Those, spy those spies came in off the corner, off the safety, and were able to come in and really frustrate the daylights out of Trevor Lawrence. That was the big thing. I mean, you saw these big guys just crash right through that, D through that offensive line, get after him, and force him to really make some errant throws. And that was one thing. I don't feel like it was Trevor Lawrence's fault. I just felt like the pressure from LSU made him mortal. And this could be good for Trevor Lawrence going forward because I figure I was watching two NFL quarterbacks for the future playing last night with Burrow and Lawrence. Lawrence is going to come back. He has one more year before he can become eligible for the NFL draft. And I think that Clemson already set it up for the way too early predictions. Clemson is still going to be the team to beat going into 2021. But keep an eye out on LSU too because Ed Orgeron is going to go try and find his next great quarterback and set that up for the future. But yeah, Trevor Lawrence had a tough night, 237 yards, overthrew a bunch of receivers, just didn't look crisp. But sometimes losing can make you a better player going forward, especially when that's your first loss ever. In a national title game, how crazy. Well, you know, I mean, when you look at Trevor Lawrence, okay, you talk about guys that have come back and whether well, you have rematches where you had the Alabama-Clemson thing uh, repeated a couple times. You know, one thing that can't be, you can't lose sight of, you got game film out here. Mm -hmm. Teams adjust. Mm -hmm. They really do. And when they see what your tendencies are, then they're going to approach things a certain way. But, yeah, I, you know, I, I hear that Clemson is a favorite going out of the gate. I'm talking to you two guys. I didn't even watch the stupid football game because I was up in an airport. <laughs> so I'm going to let you guys give me the old rundown here about what you saw. But I do know, in my mind, that you're right, okay? Ed Orgeron, after what he did with Joe Burrow with that transfer thing, that guy will be looking in the transfer portal all day long to find his next uh, transfer. And you know what? Let me tell you something, guys. That transfer portal 
as more and more schools continue to find talent, you know, give them second chances, don't underestimate the significance of what that thing is, can produce. Mm-hmm. And we've begun to see a lot of quarterbacks move on from other universities to go. So you want to talk about the word trending? Transfer portal will definitely be mm-hmm. among one of those that are trending. But, the, a lot trans- of the, hate but the transfer portal... But the transfer portal has to be with good coaching, though. You can't just be like Kelly Bryan and transfer off to Missouri where there was about to be a fired coach in Barry Odom and then have one of your worst seasons statistically. I mean, going to Missouri was one of the worst decisions that Kelly Bryant made because now he might not even have an opportunity. He has to go to the Combine to at least try and get some kind of point to become like a fifth or a sixth rounder uh, going forward. So if you're going to do the transfer portal and you want to make this a trend, you got to have good coaching. Ed Orgeron has pro experience. His first job was a defensive line coach with the Dallas Cowboys, when Jimmy Johnson was there. So Orgeron is no stranger to this. He has been punched in the mouth more times than we could think. He was fired at USC. He was brought in as an interim coach of all things to LSU, and it just dropped into their lap finding out that Orgeron was one hell of a coach. So if you're going to do a transfer portal, make sure you go to the right program with the right coach and try and make something of yourself. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Again, though, we're starting to see trends of guys. Jalen Hurts, obviously, is a guy that benefited by that up over at Oklahoma. And I think he actually is a pretty good pro prospect. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people like his duel. He reminds me a lot of a young Deshaun Watson coming out of Clemson. And I, I want to say this. I think, and Jake, I'm not sure, you know, where you stand on this. I think a lot of the hate on Trevor Lawrence that we were seeing on Twitter last night and this yeah. morning in the wake of that loss is, is really unfair. You said it yourself. This is his first loss in college football. He had been the, the the man won a national championship as a freshman as a starting quarterback. When I was nineteen, I was barely trying to type a college paper, type, get a thousand <laughs> words on a sheet of paper, double space, and this guy's winning national championships in front of seventy thousand people. So, you know, one loss in a national title game is going to hurt your reputation somewhat, but I think it's unfair to pin it all on him. It is unfair, but it's also Twitter when it comes to watching sporting events. And this is one thing, this is a rule of mine. I never go on Twitter when I am watching a football game or anything unless I am actually working the game. If I'm not working the game, I'm not tweeting, okay? Because I've had enough of these armchair quarterbacks that think they know everything about football when they know nothing. They do not realize that Trevor Lawrence. He started off really rusty this year, then came to life and became the Trevor Lawrence we knew last year. Keep in mind, this guy's never lost before. He doesn't know the meaning of the word loss until last night. And now he has this great opportunity to really defy the odds and get back to the national championship next year in the college football playoff. Yeah, I understand Twitter and social media and all that stuff, but I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Trevor Lawrence will be just fine for the future. Still has one more year of eligibility. He'll be fine. And I'll ask you this question now because, again, adversity is something that he hasn't really had to deal with at football. I believe he only lost like two games in his entire high school career, too. When, When the day comes, and I feel like it's inevitable barring a serious injury next year, how do you think he's going to be able to handle losing in the NFL when he's going to get possibly going to be the first overall pick for a really bad team that's rebuilding? Maybe the Giants have have a horrible season and get the first pick and Trevor Lawrence is wearing, you know, the, uh, 
the blue and white in a couple in a year or two. Well, it could be interesting for 2021, but I don't think he'll be anywhere near the Giants because Joe Judge is going to be the coach there, and they just uh, hired a solid offensive coordinator to really build around with him. Uh, they just and another thing too is the Panthers just went and got Joe Brady to join mm -hmm. Matt Rule over there, so they're going to be looking over at Trevor Lawrence, and they might make a move with Joe Burrow. But the thing is, is that look. This is why you come back again. You did a great job in your freshman year. You did a good job in your sophomore year. Now your junior year. This is the time where you rise. Now you start to have this ability, this freedom to think about, okay, do I want to go into the NFL draft or do I want to come back as my senior? Because now you've got a top-ranked coach. you got a great staff there at Clemson. Davo Sweeney is going to make sure that you are well taken care of. Remember, Kelly Bryan had that opportunity, and Davo said, fine, I'll let you transfer the day before that was about to expire. He will do whatever he has to to help Trevor Lawrence going forward. I think he'll be just fine. And when he understands getting into that tough atmosphere of the NFL and being that rookie, he's just going to have to learn on the ground up, and that's how it's going to go. All right, let's go on to the NFL playoffs. Uh, a few games occurred over the weekend. What stands out, Jake? Well, what really stands out is uh, this just came in. Uh, we got some breaking news. Uh, big shocker, but the Carolina Panthers just lost their captain. Luke Keekley has retired from the NFL at age 28. Wow, he's young. That's And he's a great player for a long time. Well, also another thing, Luke Keekley was also very highly respected of Ron Rivera. He loved him pretty much like a son. And now you got this new guy coming in with Matt Rule. You understand the injuries that he has dealt with throughout the years. And it, sometimes it just feels like it's time to go. Some people will end up like Thomas Davis. Some will end up like Luke Keekley and Patrick Willis. And I give a lot of credit to Keekley. He's done everything except one thing. He never won a Super Bowl, but he did get to a Super Bowl. He was Defensive Player of the Year. He was one of the top linebackers in the NFL. His stats speak for himself. He could be a potential Hall of Famer. He's done everything except win a Super Bowl. He wants to call it a career. So be it. Maybe he doesn't agree with what Matt Rule is trying to do. Maybe he doesn't want to start from day one and uh, retire on top. And I, uh, This is a, a big shocker, but you know, sometimes you got to understand too. And I got a good friend of mine who does physical therapy and all that stuff. And he told me that also, keep in mind, concussions. He had a lot of concussions throughout his NFL career. And you want to get out before it gets worse. Yeah, that's where I was going with that. Here's a guy that doesn't want to find himself, you know, for the few years that he's had in pro football. Oh, no. And then all of a sudden down the road, he's paying the price, uh, you know, with his medical situation. You know, there comes a point when you have to know when to walk away. And I guess Luke has established that this is his time to walk away. Go ahead. Well, if you want to relate it to somebody from your neck of the woods about that guy whose poster is on your wall right there, similar situation. And the same thing with Barry Sanders. Calvin Johnson retired due to multiple injuries. And, of course, the instability in that organization to get him a solid coach or just a foundation of players the way that Keekley's had. You know, I'm sure he was upset when Ron Rivera was fired. I think it's pretty safe to say that that's a similar kind of situation that's developed there. One of your stars of your franchise kind of just says, you know what, my body's already had its toll taken on it, and you guys haven't shown me enough to continue to win moving forward. I think I'm going to walk away on two feet rather than walk out in a wheelchair or, or be rolled out at least 135. I don't well, think he wants that. 
Well, if you want to look at somebody as a classic example, one of my dad's favorite players of all time is Earl Campbell. And it was a pleasure oh, to yeah. see Earl Campbell with a cane standing for a long period of time like he did at halftime when he was named in the top 11 college football players of all time. Not many people want to end up like Earl Campbell. His body took a massive toll on him uh, throughout all the big-time hits he dealt with, all the injuries he dealt with. Look, football is a very dangerous sport, and you just you have to find your time where you sit there and go, look, what is more important to me? Ask Andrew Luck that question. The shoulder injury that really hurt him the most, he felt like he got as far as he could, and then said to himself, I don't need football. I can just move on. And Luke Keekley just proved that as well. And it also goes into, you know, new establishment, new ownership, doesn't agree with it and, you know, move on with it. I mean, let the youngins take over from there because it's going to be a while for Carolina before they, you know, become that team again that Ron Rivera did such a great job building in Carolina. Well, I'll go ahead and make reference to a guy that I actually saw on January 1 named Dan Deerdorf. There you uh, he go. He's playing with St. Louis Cardinals and he's got uh, two canes too and I – an opportunity to take a photo of Dan up in the Citrus Bowl. It was unbelievable. But yeah, yeah, again, Canes, okay? We're talking Canes. And obviously, Luke Keekley was smart enough that he isn't ready to buy a cane or two. Get out while you can. Barry Sanders was on last night at that game. And Barry Sanders, if I'm, if I'm my math is right, he's only in his early 50s. The guy could barely stand up. I don't know if they had chairs there, but he had to sit down. Well, Barry, I didn't know that. They were honoring the best college football player. Well, that part I knew. Why, was he having problems standing up? I think he's probably experiencing some knee problems. I mean, you're playing running back for 10 years. It's going to take a toll on him. Yeah, well, he got out at the right time. If he's experiencing knee problems, I I never know. I mean, I'm not going to question the guy's injury. Don't get me wrong. Right. No, I know. But, you know, I mean, Barry Sanders has been looking good for a long time, long after his career. Now, if he's dealing with the typical aches and pains that anybody over 50 is going to deal with, that's another story. But you two guys are a long way from finding that stuff out anyways. And I'm getting uh, three years away from 60, although I'm not quite ready to get there yet. We'll just, we just hit 57. Well, I understand that. I mean, I got a back issue that makes me think I'm a 50-year-old at this point, so. Yeah, but your doctor's. Yeah, but your doctor's ever said that you're a 50-year-old man in a 90-year-old body like mine has. <laughs> uh, we'll leave that for another time. you got another seven minutes or so to go. All right. you want to talk about the uh, NFL playoffs, go ahead. What's your take on that? Yes, real quick. Um, I think uh, the 49ers really stepped up and uh, showed that they are the best defense in the in that's left in the playoffs right now. They did an excellent job on the Minnesota Vikings. The one thing I told a lot of people was is that the Vikings – they run the rock. That is what it's going to be. It has to go through Cook. And once he had nine carries for 18 yards, it was all up to Kirk Cousins. And they knew that Cousins was not going to be able to pull it off. And that's what happened. But also, there was a lot of blame to the defense. I mean, they fired their defensive coordinator, George Edwards. They fired their secondary coach. Meanwhile, the 49ers are feeling it. They ran the ball 47 times on Mike Zimmer's defense at that point. And they got a terrific front seven. As for the Titans and the Ravens, I was shocked. I felt like I was watching Rocky too. And Rocky and Apollo was the Ravens and Stallone was uh, Tennessee. And they pretty much got in there and fought it out for about 12 rounds. And the Titans really took them to pretty much to the woodshed. 30 carries, 195 yards, six and a half yards per carry. When it was the middle of the third quarter, 66-yard scamper by Derrick Henry. I knew the game was over. 
But keep in mind, that was a it takes a team effort to lose like that when you're a number one seed. And the Baltimore Ravens did that. It wasn't just all Lamar Jackson. It was the special teams penalties. It was the mistakes, the lack of a running game, the inability to get the ball into the end zone. And it really cost the Ravens um, big time. And then the Chiefs and the Texans, I felt like I was watching a Michael Bay movie. You know, at the beginning of the like the first 30 minutes, kind of all incoherent, all over the place. And it felt like that when the Texans were up 24 to nothing. But the, but the Chiefs then come roaring back. Patrick Mahomes becomes Patrick Mahomes. Five touchdowns on the day. He looked amazing, tremendous. They're loaded on every aspect of offense. And I'm excited to see what the Titans and the Chiefs can do in that championship game because this Chiefs defense is about to go against the best running back in the game to see if they can stop this walking brick wall that is Derrick Henry. And then to the Seahawks and the Packers. The Seahawks didn't have Chris Carson. They didn't have Rashad Penny. Their offensive line was banged up, and they still could not pull it out. Russell Wilson had to throw the team on his back and try and lead them to victory, but couldn't do it because everybody says, oh, the Packers are winning ugly. No, they're just winning games. They're just having defensive players stepping up when they needed to. Jair Alexander, it was 28-23, Seahawks score. Jair Alexander comes off that right side and barrels Russell Wilson into the ground to miss the two-point conversion. And then on the next drive, the Seahawks are driving. It's third down. Suddenly Preston Smith, right side, comes in, blitz, and sacks him. Big-time sack. Forces Pete Carroll to become befuddled and punt the ball away. And Aaron Rodgers becomes like a surgeon down the field, throwing that 32-yard pass to Devontae Adams, that nine-yard pass to Jimmy Graham to close it out. I can't wait because I feel like both of these games – could either be blowouts or they could be really, really close. And I feel like the Packers and the Niners, I think that's going to be a heavyweight fight between two Titans finding it out there. And then the Chiefs and the Titans, it could be a coin flip, either a blowout or it could be close. Well, good. Save your predictions for Thursday because that's when you're going to go ahead and give them, but at least you set it up. I'd be glad to. If Kansas City wins and Green Bay wins, Jake, are we going to see the State Farm Bowl? Is that what we're going to call the Super Bowl this year if both of them wind up winning? Yeah, I understand the agent is going to come out and flip the coin. No, actually what we're going to see is we're going to see a rematch of Super Bowl One, the first ever Super Bowl in history in 1966 when Hank Stram and Vince Lombardi were the coaches, Lenny Dawson, Bart Starr. Now you're going to have... Two offensive minds going at it with Matt LaFleur and Andy Reid, if that possibly happens. It'd be crazy to me that the first Super Bowl that happens, happens on the 100th anniversary, a rematch of it. It could be crazy to see, but I am just glad to see that these four teams, it feels like we had the right four teams in here for a Super Bowl like this, and it's going to be amazing to see which two teams are going to be representing in Miami. Yeah, I'm the only one on this broadcast that was alive for that first one. So uh, you guys weren't quite thought of at that time. They were a pipe dream for your parents, but I was the only one that was there to watch it. <laughs> and I believe they played those Super Bowls, early Super Bowls, in January, if I'm not well, mistaken. Well, yeah, and I think one of them was at the L.A. Coliseum. Way January. <laughs> yep, the first one was at L.A. Coliseum. They right. had only 60,000 uh 60,000 attending the game. It actually, you know, the, the stadium didn't look big enough. It wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't until Super Bowl three was when the Super Bowl became what it was because people witnessed the greatest upset 
in sports history at that point when Joe Namath beat the Baltimore Colts. They were 19-point underdogs at that point. That was oh, yeah. when the Super Bowl became and, and, the Super Bowl. Right, and that first uh, two Super Bowls, I think they were broadcast both on uh, NBC and CBS because they yep. had the respective leagues. Jerk Gowdy. Green Bay won the first two, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yes. right, so. Yep, they beat Kansas City and they beat Oakland. And they won all the uh, the NFL champion, a lot of NFL championships, as is the Colts with Johnny Unitas before that, too, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Yep, they okay, won five Jake. NFL championships. All right, Jake, you wanted to uh, provide us a little bit of insights on the Houston sign stealing uh, before you uh, go off uh, well, the program. Well, that, and we'll talk more football on All right, well, first off, I'll say this. The other shoe dropped as well. Uh, Boston and the Boston Red Sox and manager Alex Cora have agreed to part ways before the punishment came down. Uh, for Major League Baseball, I thought they look. It, this a lot of people believe it's like a slap in the wrist. I think it was the right crime for the situation. Look, everybody was treating this like it was the biggest sports scandal in history today, and I sat there and went, "It's about sign stealing." I get it. You feel jobbed. You feel like that this year should be vacated. Because of the cheating that the Astros did. I get that. But this was just another excuse for Yankee fans and Dodger fans who actually had to play the Astros in 2017 to whine and complain and say, oh, we we got jobbed. We should have got the title. No, you shouldn't have gotten the title. You should have been able to find a way to beat these Astros. Yes, they had a digital technology. They used trash cans. They used clapping, whatever. But you still could not beat them. And the Astros are going to be known as cheaters in 2017. It's sad to say, but I find it as an insult that people completely took more time to whine about their team than actually talk about the crime. The crime is big. It's the biggest scandal we've had since the steroid era. And I get that. But the thing is, is that, look, I know that there are players out there that are going to say, okay, I can't give any respect to Jose Altuve or George Springer or Carlos Correa. If you really think the Astros are just going to, you know, pretty much tuck themselves between their legs and walk away, you're crazy. They are still going to be a very good baseball team coming up in this year. Even though that A.J. Hinch is gone, I'm telling you right now, he may be out of a job. He's out for a year, but I will bet you money that A.J. Hinch will be hired by some other Major League Baseball team coming up in 2021 at that point. Until then, though... Let's focus on what happened here, the punishment that the Astros will have to deal with the next two years. They don't have draft picks in the first and second round, and they don't have a manager. They're going to be using their bench coach, and they're going to have to just restart this franchise the best way they can, but they have so much talent. But I just found it embarrassing that people got on the phone and whined about the Dodgers not getting their way or the Yankees not getting their way. You can, you're never going to vacate the title. They're never going to take down it. They're never going to ask for the rings back. Let's understand this. It was a terrible scandal. It is sad to say that this is happening in baseball at this point. But remind yourself, sign stealing has been happening since the dawn of baseball. Go back to the shot heard around the world, Bobby Thompson. How do you think he got that sign stealing? That's how you do it. Relaying signs in center field. Exactly. They got caught. They used technology. It was cheating. And they're going to get the punishment. But sign stealing is going to continue even going into this. You just can't use technology anymore. So the next time Dodger fans and Yankee fans, you want to whine and complain about this, 
remind yourself of the crime before you make the crime of making it about yourself. All right, we got about a minute to go. So what do you want? You want to I'll throw this number at you, Jake, that'll help kind of justify why a lot of those fans were upset. The Astros in that 2017 postseason on the road averaged 3.8 runs per game. Yes, That's they did. like on par with the 2013 Marlins, one of the most anemic offenses in baseball history. At home, where they had the camera, and this is where it really upsets me because Clayton Kershaw had a blow-up in Game 5. That's right. That World Series, 8.1 runs per average in their home games that postseason. It makes a difference, and I totally understand why fans are upset. I don't disagree with you wholeheartedly, but I think those fans were kind of justified in what they were saying. They could be justified. Hard. I agree that they should be justified, but they completely forgot about the crime that was happening. Uh, it, it came to a point, look... I understand. Astros cheated. I get it. They had a 273 batting average at home. They were one of the top offenses. Uh, people were talking about how they were going to be in the top five all-time teams in World Series history. Now that's all gone. Mm -hmm. But it's not a time for you to get on sports radio and whine and complain and tell if the Dodgers need to get the title or the Yankees need a rematch with the Astros. It's 2017. Now it is the year of 2020. And I understand you feel jobbed but you completely forgot about what this crime actually did to the game instead of making it about your team. All right, well, on that note, okay, we'll uh, follow this developing story. Jake, thanks again for being on the program. We have a lot of work to do in 2020, so get ready for some predictions on Thursday night. All right, partner? Looking forward to it. Uh, me too. Thank you very much, Jake, for being on our uh, program. Jake Ronhold. Jake, before you get off, why don't you let everybody know how they can follow you on Twitter. Go ahead. Yeah, find play. me on Twitter at, at Ronhold Sports. That's R-O-N-G-H-O-L-T Sports. So you can find me on Facebook.com slash both sides of the story. You don't get hot takes. You get both sides. All right. On that note, okay, we'll uh, talk uh, more on Thursday. Thank you very much, Jake. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Take care, Jake.